0: So call in, we'll chat and uh, have some fun Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary Here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network
1: Hello, hello I'm Rob Black talking money, investing and more Thanks for listening to the show I've got the Chase Sapphire Reserve credit card It's awesome Came with 100,000 points. You get 50% more points when you, when you shop through their uh, online thing. You get three points for any restaurant and or hotel you stay at or flight that you book. And again, you get 50% more points with them. That's a pretty good deal. It's $450 a year. But you also get $300 credit towards any sort of travel. So it's $150 a year if you travel anywhere, right? And you get online boarding, uh, TSA walkthrough. Um, I'm big into credit cards. Now listen to this. I'm big into credit cards because I, I I like the rewards and I pay off my credit cards every month. And uh, did you know 34% of people never cash in their credit card rewards or miles on airline tickets? Whoa. Morgan Chase hasn't been shy about throwing down major cash to land some millennial customers. Um, they've got a new card now. It is a 100,000 point bonus, and it's tied towards millennial home buyers. Chase is rewarding existing card holders of the Chase Sapphire Preferred and Reserve and the No Fee Sapphire credit cards with 100,000 reward points when they close a mortgage loan with a bank. Okay. I kind of get it. A 100,000 point bonus if you close a loan with the bank. Um, it's a cute perk. It's a real cute perk. It's another way of them adding value, but it's also a hell of a way for them to get business. Reserve card has that at $450 annual fee. The preferred card is a $95 fee after the first year. In 2015, 20% of Chase Mortgage customers were under the age of 35. In 2016, that jumped to 36%. So in 2015, Chase Mortgage customers were under the age of 35, 20% of them. Now it's 36%. J.P. Morgan Chase is targeting a, a trend, and I, I think it's really, really, really smart of them. Tony Mendez, BayAriolensource.com. morning. What do you think about the idea of getting uh, credit card rewards, basically $1,000, back if you do a mortgage? It seems kind of silly to me. But at the same time, people like their points.
2: Uh, it's the, definitely a uh, an advertisement. It's a sales technique to get you interested in their product, and their mortgage. Uh, I like the ten thousand points, whether or not you use them. Hundred
1: thousand points.
2: Oh, it's a hundred thousand. Sorry, I thought it, I thought it was ten thousand. Holy mackerel, a hundred thousand. Uh, yeah. Um. It's there's got to be somewhere. It's those costs are built into the rate, maybe. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Um. So. Or even just the transaction, you know? Yeah, or it, it's, some, it's built in the transaction somewhere. I mean, nobody's getting anything for free. Do you give people toasters
1: or anything when you do a mortgage form?
2: No, I can't. If I give a toaster to you on a mortgage, I have to give a toaster to everybody else I've done a mortgage for. Okay. I like toasters. <laughs> you know,
1: if I can get like one of those like eight toaster toasters, that, those are the best ones. I need my toaster. To have a lot wi- of toast. I need my toaster to have a, a lot wi- of gluten, Wi-Fi. Um, you know, I recently did a little camping and part of the camping experience was breakfast. And I, what I've learned about myself is I don't eat bread anymore. Yeah. Like if I'm, if I do Italian, maybe, but other than that, not your emergency fund. Um, so let's talk about those millennials. You know, if you're a millennial, you could afford to get a mortgage and go call Tony Mendez. If you have an emergency fund and it's doing well and you're not tapping it and you're kind of seeing yourself as kind of grown up by having set emergency funds, uh, most of the people that you do mortgages for, would you say they're pretty well
2: uh, off financially, like smart wise, and, and they've got you know 401k. They've got. Are you kind of asking if people are using all of their money to buy a house yes. and leaving some on the side? I would say 95% of the people who are buying houses um, and even refinances have some sort of reserves okay. after the fact. Um, so, uh, there are a lot of people who use all of their cash but still leave their 401k or IRA. Got it. Um, but then you also look at their incomes and you go, okay, they may be able to replenish that cash. Um, that other 5%, they literally use all their money. I'm doing a transaction for a VA buyer right now, and he's able to qualify up to $636,000 with zero down, zero money in the bank. And he will be left with zero – well, he doesn't have zero. He has enough for a little bit of the closing costs, but he doesn't need to have a lot of assets as a VA loan. So there are, on occasion, some people – but he has a good income. And we know that he's going to be able to replenish you know, what he needs to survive on a daily basis. So Jeff Foxworthy did the
1: whole, you might be a redneck if <laughs> you've got a car up on jacks kind of thing. You might be ready for owning a home if you've got an emergency fund in place, and you might be ready to own a home if you have more than enough for a down payment. Do you see that? Or are people really scraping by just to get that bare minimum down payment put together?
2: I think that's a question that you really have to look at your your short and long-term goals, your ability to earn money for a long period of time. Because if, if that's your only money that you have and you're putting it into a house, um, that's putting all your eggs in one basket so to speak? Are you diversified enough? Um, That's how a lot of people end up cash poor and house rich. That's why people are using expensive uh, reverse mortgages uh, later on in life. And they end up having to stay in that house without the freedoms of moving around. Um, Now, I'm not saying anything bad about a reverse mortgage. I'm just saying that it doesn't give you as many options as maybe diversifying that. So kind of
1: what I'm getting at, though, is I think a lot of millennials are starting to According to this Chase Sapphire report, mm-hmm. more millennials are getting homes.
2: They are. And it's starting to, like, become a thing. Well, there, there's – Fannie Mae just helped with some rules just recently saying that the, one out of six people right now walking around have some sort of student loan. And on average, that's about 32000 for that said person. And – that mortgage, i sorry, that student loan debt now used to have a bump, uh, a bump up scale. So if you had a $500 payment, it would actually equal like a $1,000. right, so they've reduced that back to its normal payments. And they, there's some other rules that they've changed to help people in millennials that do have debt. Speaking with Tony Mendez, so yes, you can
1: find him at com, It's bayarealonsource.com. I'm talking about millennials and Chase Sapphire is giving 100,000 credit card points to people who do a mortgage with them. It's cute. That's a cute kickback. Um, again, points are money. A lot of people don't realize that, but it's a, a replacement of cashola. Um, but millennials don't know when they can buy a home and when not. So when you have more than their minimum payment on a down payment, that's great, because when you do a mortgage, there's going to be they're going to come after you and say, oh, by the way, I need you to write a check to the appraiser. Oh, by the way, I need you to write a check to... The title company. And it's always, it freaks you out because you're like, uh, I got $200,000 to down damn payment. I'm going to do this. And then you're like, whoa, there's another $10,000 of cost? Yep. Be ready for it.
2: Um, credit score. How important is credit score? We've got one minute. It, it, it is the underlying factor in what rate you end up with and, and whether or not you can qualify for a product. What's the worst credit score you've ever got a loan for? Ooh. Well, you can do a private money loan without a credit score. I'm asking, uh, what's the... Oh, 580. Okay. You, know, you can go down to 580 now with FHA. 620 is where you, want, where, where you want to be for Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Standard Loans. Uh, but your target credit score is 700. Gotcha. It's Tony Mendez. You can find him at bayarealonsource.com. It's bayarealonsource.com. We'll
1: talk more about owning homes, buying homes, real estate agents, and much, much more. You can find him at bayarealonsource.com. You can always find me at robblackshow.com. If there's an event coming up, you can use the code RADIO25 to get into the event for free. There's events coming up. So go to roblackshow.com to find if one is near you. We'll take a break here. We'll be right back. And why, why, do
2: you hang out? I can hear your pulse racing from here. Sitting next to this gun beats your heart in your mouth.
0: So I'm
1: talking trends and demographics and talking about how actions have reactions for sure. You've seen the action of higher real estate prices, and that's moving companies like restaurants out of business. New York City's famous for some of the greatest restaurants in the world. Um, And what happened was at one point in time, a restaurant would kind of lead the way and go into a poor part of town maybe like the meatpacking district in New York City. A restaurant would open up. They have cheap rent because it's in the meatpacking district. And through the years, real estate prices have gone up, 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 up. And at some point in time, you go, I'm not going to pay $50 for a steak. I'll pay $40 for a steak. I'm offended by $40 steaks. I remember paying 35 or $30 for a steak. And uh, but to have someone cook it for me, to have them use gas or fire, whatever form of fire they're using, to have the waiter clean the tables, to have the bus guy clean the dishes, uh, it's not an ex- a cheap product. And the margins are very tightly tied towards what I just said. Of uh, I don't want to pay $45 for a steak, I'll pay $40 for a steak. So there's only so much they can charge. And when real estate prices go up 5% a year in New York City for 20 years, you eventually have to close that restaurant. Um, it's a sad reality. Um, one way that restaurants make tons of money is alcohol sales because you'll sit there and drink $35 of booze pretty quickly <clears throat> when it's really only 4 or $5 that they're giving you of product. That has much higher margins than the, the, the food. So just know that actions have reactions and, you know, some of your favorite restaurants are going to shut down in the Bay Area, in New York City, and Chicago, because of the higher rents going up everywhere. Back to technology and the digitization and wearables. Right now, global wearable shipments are climbing from 26 million units in 2014 to 82 million units in 2015 to 110 million units in 2016. And the sensors that are being put into these wearables are uh, Thermometers, 5% of them. Camera, 6%. Altimeter, 6%. Barometer, 7%. Ambient light, 12%. Microphone, 18%. Compass, 19%. Gyroscope, 26% of the devices. GPS, 28%. Heart rate, 33%. And accelerometer, 86% of the wearable devices. Now, I've got the Apple AirPods, and that's a wearable device because not only can you hear Bluetooth music through your AirPods now, um, which is great. No wires. But on top of it, you can tap it and say, hey, Siri, navigate home. And it'll instantly start giving you directions. (laughs) See, there you go. Um, So the AirPods are pretty magical. And they're a wearable category. And Apple sold out of them. They're a six-week back supply. And they've been on sale now already for, you know, uh, a good while. Consumers are willing to share their health data, which is interesting to me because companies like Google—they're data companies. So, which tech company would you share your data with? Google, Microsoft, Samsung, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, IBM—they're all companies that you're sharing data with, and a lot of data accumulation equals a lot of proliferation of, you know, digitally native health-related data sets. Health and fitness app downloads um, are climbing. So some of the apps in the health category, lifestyle and stress. I have a meditation app for sure. I have two of them. Disease and treatment is a big chunk of the pie. Fitness and diet and nutrition. So there's something now called, which you probably don't even know, EHR, electronic health records, And the adoption is becoming quite broad and centralized. So if you get online and you can see your blood results, you've got an electronic health record. And, you know, this is... These electronic health records are tied towards your medications. Maybe some of your problems historically. Have you ever been to a doctor and they're like, tell me about your uh, family history? But they can also do a nice job of keeping track of your vital signs. So my dentist does my blood pressure every time I go see my dentist, and he's able to say, you know, hey, you need to go see a doctor. One time I had a really red tongue, and he goes, you've got some sort of uh, uh, infection going on somewhere in your body, and it's showing in your tongue. But he was also able to look at my, you know, my blood pressure and tell me if I was a life-threatening kind of situation. Um, hospitals that enable digital patient access, uh, hospitals are providing digital access to healthcare information, it's still growing. And it's you know, to be able to view your information, um, that's grown from, you know, a very small amount to basically ninety five percent of hospitals that you view digital information now. To download, about eighty seven percent of hospitals let you download your information. So there's a growth in healthcare data that's growing at forty eight percent year over year. And that's pretty impressive. So if you take a look at a hospital, um, and the growth of healthcare data, you're talking about 153 exabytes. That's 48% growth year over year. So some of the data that hospitals now use is they'll use like a 500-bed hospital, and they've got 8,000 employees. They've got 400 applications. They've got 500 databases. They've got 1,000 interfaces. They've got 10,000 desktops. They've got 500 uh, company-owned hospital-owned tablets, and they've got 2,000-plus mobile devices. So hospitals generate 50 petabytes of data per hospital at this point. So a lot of digital insight and translation is means that we're in the early innings of the impact on therapeutics and genomics are obviously fueling that. So you're seeing more and more data, for instance, you've heard of 23andMe, I'm sure, and they're collecting DNA data on you, and they're telling you, oh, hey, you're 18% French and 72% Irish and 10% Mutt. Uh, but they're also asking questions like, do you have problems sleeping? And they're kind of tying that to your genome, genomic traits. Um, do you have problems you know, losing weight or keeping weight off? Um so I, I think you're seeing more and more data sets being collected, and um, a lot of clinical trials you know obviously having some uh, impact as far as the time of them go. so the average time to get a market a new market a new drug to market is about twelve years right now. You have to go from Phase 0, which is three and a half years. Phase 1 is about 1.8 years. Phase 2 is 2.1 years. Phase 3, when you start testing on humans, it's two and a half years. But the growth in clinical trials is growing because we can get a super amount of data out of people now. So, I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Uh, Companies are able to use that data, by the way, to get better chances for phase to get approval. So, because they're more confident in the data they're presenting to doctors and to researchers. You can find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter Rob Black Show.
0: Visit Rob Black online at RobBlack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. So
1: this is an artist slash band that I think is worthy of watching. Frontman Jack Antonoff. He's been with the band Fun. He's kind of got a goofy look, very nerdy, 1950s glasses, tight haircut. Uh, Heavily influenced. You can hear the music with the 80s and early 90s. Um, I don't know. So, I like the band Fun for sure. You know, I could definitely put a Together, some hits to listen to. That's, anyway, bleachers. 800 516 1220 each calls in the air. It's 800 516 1220 to each calls in the air. You know what's difficult about this show? Is that I'm doing a show for 20 somethings, 30 somethings, 40 somethings, and people who have basically messed up and haven't saved enough in their 50s. My best advice is if you haven't saved a million dollars is to keep working and keep working and keep working. And whether that be savings and in, in your investments or if that just means you keep working so that you know your eight hundred thousand will stay that way for a couple more years into retirement, so you don't have to tap into it. A million dollars is only going to pay you forty thousand dollars a year until you die. So I got my first job when I was in not elementary school. <laughs> now I'm embellishing. Ninth grade. Um, I washed dishes at like a, kind of a friendlies, which is kind of an ice cream place. Um, and that wasn't fun. So I I wasn't really washing dishes as much as loading a dishwasher, but you got really wet and stunk because I guess there was a lot of sexism back then that all the cute girls were the waitresses. The guys were ice cream scoopers, and the young people were dishwasher loaders. So I've been working for a long time. Um, And when I do a show for 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, 50-somethings, I don't want us all to work till the day we die. So um, I would be very cautious on where you put your money. I love the 401K. I think you should always put money into a 401K. Um, And then you should max contribution to a Vanguard Roth then you should do look for extra money in that 401k. So I think you should set up an emergency fund. So I think you should have a six month safety net in a checking account or a savings account that you never ever touch. I think you should stay away from commercials that say you can get a 7% return by putting your money with us. Uh, Anyone who's willing to say that type of guarantee is someone you shouldn't trust. Um because why would they why would they use you if they can do that themselves? They would use you because they're trying to get money from you in the transaction costs. I don't like hard money loans. I don't like that in any way, shape, or form for an average person. Um I think when you're young you should figure out, you know, can I get a rental property where someone else is paying the rent? It's not a bad idea. Can you start or buy a business? You should start thinking about things like the stock market. I think you should start thinking about yourself and how you can educate yourself from, you know, great books. Um, Again, you're not looking for books that promise you to teach you how to trade or teach you how to invest. You're looking for, like, books by Peter Lynch, who was one of the world's greatest investors. Books about Warren Buffett, one of the world's greatest investors. What's interesting about Peter Lynch and uh, Fidelity, he's one of the greatest investors of all time, and most people lost money in his fund. How is that possible? He runs Fide- Fidelity de Magellan for 20-plus years, and most people lost money, and it was one of the greatest mutual fund of all time for that period of time. It's because people buy high and sell low. People get greedy and go, hey, did you hear about the sky?" And they rush in to get in, and then the market pulls back and they panic. So I don't think you're missing anything Um out there. I think it's pretty simple. So I think, you know, options like buying a rental property, starting a business, investing in the stock market, investing in yourself are all great ideas. I'm always confused by people who invest in, like, self-help gurus. Because you look at the self-help guru, and they wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for teaching you who has low confidence how to have higher confidence for the short term. Um... When you invest, start knowing that there's different stocks, bonds, mutual funds, index funds, real estate investment trusts, master limited partnerships, and so on. So I think the best thing for you to do is buy a diversified portfolio. If you're in your 20s and you see something like a total stock market index, perfect. Um, that could be the Russell 3000, that could be the Wilshire 5000, that could be a target fund. If you're in your 20s, you're going to retire in 40 years, so you take a look at the calendar and you kind of round up and down. So in this case, you'd probably round up to 2020. So you're going to retire at 2060 because you're 20, 40 years. Add 40 to 2020 and you got 2060 and you do a target fund called the 2060. And then you're done for now. And you just start putting more money in it Then you start thinking about a Roth and you start thinking about other things and uh, you try to increase your contributions. Over the last 30 years, the S&P 500 has returned 10.35%. But do you know the average investor's only returned average 3.66%. So in the last 30 years, if you just got in the market and did nothing, got in the market and got like recreational drugs or you took a long nap for 30 years, you were Cinder Stiltskin. Um, you got 10.3% returns. But if you were like, I'm going to buy $10,000 of Amazon at an all-time high, you, it might not have worked out for you in your 401k account. Uh, if you have an S&P 500 index, you don't mess with it. You got 10.35% returns over the last 30 years. Uh, and I think that's where people get into trouble. We had that call earlier who was like, what do you think about short selling? I think you shouldn't be doing it. goes back to that thought you can pick your nose. You can pick your friends, but you can't pick your friend's nose. Uh There's some things that you just shouldn't do. Ah! Uh, I think you spend your 20s learning how to invest. I don't think you have to do things right. I just think you've got to get into the habit of doing things, the habit of paying off your credit card, the habit of saving, the habit of that kind of idea. In your 30s, you should look at buying your first piece of rental property, Um, perhaps your first home. Learning how to assess properties, navigate financing, screen tenants, and calculate cash flow are the buzzwords that you're going to want to think about. Um... You don't want to sit on $200,000 cash waiting for an opportunity. You want to put that money to work because you're in your 30s and that's what you should be doing. In your 40s, you should think about, I'm going to retire in 20 years. Where am I? Where's my financial uh, roadmap, my checklist? Um, Do you start your first business in your 20s, your 30s, or your 40s? You probably have more success if you do it in your 40s because you'll have learned from business experience, it's funny because I tell young couples, I said, if if she can work for IBM and you can start your own company, bingo, or I should probably say, if he works for Microsoft and she starts her own company, that's perfect because from a tax perspective, you get you get it all. No, no, I'm not saying you get it all. That's the wrong thing to say. From a tax perspective, you have a lot of uh, um, leeway, a lot of leverage, a lot of ability to uh, tinker, so to speak so that's your 20s 30s 40s and again in your 50s if you haven't saved enough money and you know by in your 30s you should have at least one to three times your salary because you're aiming to end up with 10 to 20 times your salary when you retire um, so I think that's uh, kind of an important thought to digest I use TD Ameritrade infidelity um, for my accounts I think Fidelity, Vanguard, and TD Ameritrade are the only three you need. Charles Schwab is fine. Um company that I think is going to get acquired sooner than later is E-Trade. E-Trade had its, it had its day, but I don't think anyone's going, ooh, I need to open up a new account. I'm going to use E-Trade now. I th- I would imagine that uh, they don't really have the volume, volume, volume that they had of the go-go 90s. So that's worthy of note. Um uh, 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Um, how do you start investing? I think that's probably one of the biggest things that, you know, I just said. Um, you want to open an account. You want to learn in your 20s. So before you do, ask yourself the question of why am I going to open an account with TD Ameritrade or with Fidelity or with Vanguard? So ask yourself the question, Why? Um, what motivates you? And then you ask yourself, why do you want to invest in a company? Do you want to invest in Apple? Do you want to invest in Southwest? You kind of want to lay a foundation. Before opening that first brokerage account, you want to make sure you have money on side for the emergency fund. Then before you open that uh, first account, you want to have a target. Um, do you want to make a million dollars in it? Do you plan on setting aside 10% of your income do you want to put all your bonuses into it? Uh, try to stay away from what I would refer to as fee factories. Um, total fees should probably be under 1.25% always. And close your 25 basis points. So 1.25% is 125 basis points. 25 basis points would be one quarter of 1%. That's what you're looking for in fees most in those two uh, ranges. So understand you're going to have some short-term pain, but it's going to get you long-term gain. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.
2: Black
0: now, 800-516-1220. That's 800-516-1220. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM
1: 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, in more. 800-516-1220. How do you win in retirement and win in money? Most people won't. Most workers are responsible for their own retirement savings these days. My dad grew up in a world where there was pensions. And there were, you know, you were taking, if you worked for a company, they took care of you. Um, Fantastic. And those all started going away. And for my generation, they're all away. Now, you can still get a pension by being a teacher. You can still get a pension by being a state worker, which I've got problems with. If you're going to get a pension, I don't, you can't be a DMV worker or the DMV has to be a better experience kind of thing. I love teachers. I love firefighters. I love, I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. Uh, but pensions are rare now. So what you need to know about winning in life is you want to set up a comfortable retirement. So the best thing to do is start early. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two, look at lesson number one. Uh, because when you start early, you've, you can double your money. If you start at age 22 and you invest $5,000 a year, you're going to end up with $1.06 million. So $1 million. But if you start at age 32 and you invest $5,000, you're going to end up with $557,000. Now there's a difference between half a million and a million. And that's 10 years. So same amount of money. Uh, but you lose, if you, if you don't start early, use that ability to double your money over the seven to seven years. Saving is a habit. That's the best thing I can t- tell you is make it habitual. When I was 18, I was 18. I used to love going to South Carolina because, uh, uh, you'd go on vacation because they got the lovely beaches and hey, that's no, 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 no. South Carolina's not, not hillbilly. South Carolina's quite nice. Um, it's okay, it's a little huddle but, um, that's kind of the, the line on the East Coast. The, the beaches from Virginia up are cold and jellyfish filled and kind of nasty. Uh, but the beaches south are pretty sweet when you start getting to lower North Carolina and Ag's Head and South Carolina. But, so you go to South Carolina and the girls, it was fantastic because they weren't 18. They're were 18. Um, and I once told a girl that, uh, Jimmy Buffett had changed his name to Jimmy Buffet. And she started crying. Like, she was that kind of upset, that kind of, like, into it. But when you're young, and you can make saving a habit. So I was 18, I was 18, that's where I'm going with the story. I made saving a habit. I started saving $166 a month because I did the math, and that's roughly $2,000 a year, which is roughly what you could put into an IRA at that time. So save as much as you can. That's the idea. Have an emergency fund so that you can save as much as you can. And yes, uh you know, if you have a choice between going to Cabo and going to Hawaii, unless you've maxed out your savings that year, you go to Cabo because it's a lot cheaper than Hawaii. You have to make that kind of decision. So when you save early and you save enough, it becomes very second nature. Um, numbers do matter, and time does matter. So you need to understand your investment accounts. Probably the best thing you could do is set up a 401k or a 401k Roth Um, if you could do both, that's awesome. If you could do a Roth IRA and a 401k, that's awesome. That gives you flexibility. And trust me, I am not flexible. (laughs) I'm the kind of guy when I go for like a massage, a massage, a sensual massage, and the masseuse kind of starts stretching your arms and legs and stuff. I'm like, no, just rub me. Don't stretch me. Um, you're going to break me. I'm like that bad guy from What was the movie? Was it shattered with Bruce Willis? Unbreakable. Um, I'm like Mr. Glass, <laughs> like do not stretch me because I will shatter like, not like that, kind of more like um a car window. So I'll just like shatter and i will stay intact, but it's a lot of pain. So understand your investment accounts. So 401k is great. If you can get some sort of Roth, either 401k Roth, it's fantastic, or Roth IRA. The 401k, you basically don't pay federal taxes. So that's like a bonus but later in life you do pay income taxes on it, but that's, that's okay. That's okay. Cause you didn't pay it up front and it grew tax deferred and it doubled and compounded for you. That's awesome. But the Roth, you already pay the taxes. So later in life, when you go, I need a, you know, $8,000 roof instead of pulling $10,000 out to cover your taxes of $2,000 to cover the roof, of 8,000, all you need to pull out is 8,000. That gives you great flexibility. So it won't shatter you. Um, so a 401k plan is a lot like, uh, the best vehicle to save money in, or a 403b or a 457. Uh, they're all very similar. So they're all very, very similar. So if your, if your employer offers no plan, or if you're self-employed, you can go with an IRA, a Roth IRA, a SEP, a solo 401k. There's options out there, but you have to get off your your tukish. You have to get off your tukish. Stop watching Kim Kardashian and her tukish, and get your tukish off the couch. And start learning some of these terms. I would highly recommend uh Barron's or the Wall Street Journal. Uh, the New York Times has a great business section. Uh, the USA Today has a lot of articles that are written like, hey, Matt, uh how do I make a million for retirement? Read it. It doesn't have to be right. It doesn't have to be perfect. You just need to start getting some of these concepts and these words going in your head, in my opinion. Um If you change your jobs, I like taking the 401k with me. I like rolling it over into a self-directed IRA. Um, Because let's say right now I work for Salem Communications. And let's say I get a big job at NBC. NBC. Do, do, (laughs) do. Damn, you're good. You are good. Board op of the year. You may get two, you may get a bunt cake and a succulent this year. Woo-hoo! So, anyway, long story short, the company that let me go, let's say they go crazy. You want to take that 401k with you for whatever reason. Just I like having personal control myself. Uh, I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing and more. Find me online at Rob Black Show, Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show.